Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare, Chris Ragg and Jordan Fermanis of Aleph Insights. And this week we're talking about immunity to propaganda. Um, Nick, kick us off, please. Yeah, well, this is a bit slightly circuitous, actually. All right. We've talked about... Well, we don't like that on this podcast. No, exactly. No, we've talked about DALI, haven't we, which is that um, image generation AI, where okay, you type yeah. in kind yeah, of yeah. any prompt yeah. and up pops something amazingly perfect for that prompt. Anyway, I saw some online uh, something online that someone had done where they typed in um, Soviet propaganda about the xenomorph, meaning the alien from the alien films. Oh, right. And there were some absolutely superb-looking Soviet... 1930s propaganda posters with the alien in you know in the in the style of soviet propaganda oh. posters it was re really impressive but it did it made me uh, obviously I, I i think everyone has a bit of a soft spot for kind of 1930s propaganda and um you know it's very distinctive era and style mm. when you see those posters of mm. sort of um you know hunky russian men with sledgehammers and things yeah. and you, you know it almost makes you want to become a communist yeah um but, of course, these days, I think the idea of a propaganda poster wouldn't work. I mean, you know, we would look at it and go, well, that's obviously a propaganda poster. Um, it's it's as though we've acquired antibodies to that style of propaganda. And, um, you know, similar things, if you think about 1950s, 1960s, sort of American propaganda films with the authoritative voiceover guy and, you know, telling you that uh, reds were everywhere and that kind of thing. When you think of propaganda, you think of things that are intuitively implausible. And so the, the question is, um, you know, are we immune to propaganda now or has it merely changed form? Because, you know, I when the Internet came along, I, to be honest, naively now in retrospect, thought, well, um, now we can fact check everything. No one's going to share any... Uh, false information no, now because they'll right. just be downvoted and shouted down and of course you know we've the, the massive proliferation of the last you know five ten years of, of kind of clickbait and fake news and that kind of thing uh, suggests that that's n not true um, but yeah are we immune to propaganda or are we only is it like antibodies and are we are we only immune to old propaganda and currently you know vulnerable to it and, and if so are we going to acquire immunity to modern propaganda at some point and so if when we do how will it mutate yeah because it's almost another way to phrase it is is propaganda propaganda still possible right mm. because also apart from anything else because of the fragmented and fractured forms of communication um but also um when you think of when I think of propaganda and, and my mind probably also goes immediately to lots of Soviet stuff but also um, even during war times um, and of those sort of big messages, whether it be from, you know, an autocratic state like the Soviet Union or, or, or a democracy. And I can't imagine during those. Actually, I, in some ways, I, it needs big events in a way to get everyone on side, but it also needs a big power to get that propaganda. You think of big things and that runs contrary to, to the way, as I've said, things are fractured mm. now. I think we need to define it as well. What do we mean by propaganda? Chris? Well, all I have to say is uh, stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. Um, you know, arguably, there's one of the largest propaganda campaigns ever ever run uh, and had massive impact, success in terms of changing people's 
behavior. Mm. And that was very, very recently. And it involved posters and it involved TV adverts and it involved big government speaky people standing up and saying things into microphones. So, um, well, I didn't fall for it and I've only had COVID twice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but equally, you know, you could look at, um, anti-vax, uh, propaganda as well as, 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 as existing. So I, I, I think, uh, the uh, the idea that it it doesn't exist now um, is is definitely or, or very arguably not the case. And I mean, do you need? I mean, I know you talked about anti-vaxxing there as well. I just wonder if do you need something big like an institution behind the propaganda? But I think we need to, if you agree with me, I think we need to define what we mean by propaganda. And also we can talk a little bit about modern forms of propaganda, which we can go on to you for, Jordan. But Nick? Um, yeah, well, I think uh, the key thing about propaganda is that it's designed to influence people. That, that's what that's what sets it apart, I guess, from just normal information. Um, I, But I don't think it's... Certainly, the, well, if we think about the, his, the history of the word propaganda, it was very neutral. So the term comes apparently from 1622, um, when the uh, Committee of Cardinals, set up by Gregory the Fifteenth, mm. called the Congregatio de Propaganda Fide, which was, um, well, I think designed to supervise the way that, uh, you know, the proper, well, it was designed to recommend the proper way to spread Catholicism. Yes. And I think um, we can all agree that the Catholic Church is a highly neutral yeah. organisation. And, and right. I think we also agree they did do it properly. Yes, they, they, yeah, yes. they, they were on the back foot a bit, I think, after the old Reformation. Mm. But they got their act together, didn't mm. they, by the, by the 17th century. But um, then in the early 20th century, uh, PR, the PR industry started referring to what it did as propaganda. And then it, but then it very rapidly acquired negative connotations, I think, around, around about sort of World War I. And... Um, uh, we in the UK actually. You, I think one of the things I think of when I think of propaganda is information ministries. Mm. You know, you think of people like Joseph, Joseph Goebbels, whose job is to generate propaganda. And it's interesting going back to what you were saying about the, uh, you know, the the, the sorts of reasons we have um, information ministries. But I didn't realize we we only had we've only had them very briefly in the UK. We had one at the end of the well of World War One, 1918, Lord Be- Beaverbrook, um, and then one was set up in 1939 and disbanded again in 1946. Mm. Um, and and the function of that ministry was to um, to promote the national case, I guess, for the war to the public at home and abroad in in time of war by issuing national propaganda and controlling news and information. So I uh, I think. The fact that we now use it really to mean lies in the in in service of a kind of nefarious aim um, is probably, I think, what we want to focus on. I don't. I, it, while you could sort of the broad definition might say, well, all information is propaganda. I think it's um, got to be. There's got to be something about presenting something as fact, which isn't, um, and uh, and for there to be some kind of intent which is involves some kind of subterfuge. So, you know, I, I would say, although, yes, technically, on the broad definition, COVID, stay at home to protect the NHS, is propaganda. It is really only trying to do things that are kind of the sort of right thing to do. In our like. best interest. Like well, coming well, together as I a mean, society and all working you together could take and sharing the, property. You, yes. could take, you could take the, say that there was a, you know, yeah, you could take a, a sort of cynical view that just says, you know, well, all, all viewpoints are equally the same. But uh, but I think, it, you know, this question of um, 
of trying to make someone believe something which isn't the case to influence their behavior is or at least trying to make them to think that something is more strongly the case than it is i think is what i'm what we want to talk about in this okay. podcast so no i like that so we're gonna we so our definition then is a propaganda is someone or an institution trying to say something which probably isn't quite true or not quite mm. reflective of of how things really are that's that's you know that's for the purposes of this discussion that's mm. what we mean by propaganda chris uh, i was just going to add one more thing i think yeah. to the to the definition uh which i think makes it propaganda uh, and that is probably, I think, most people's understanding is that it is some in some way uh, supportive of a political cause. It's not. We don't think of marketing as propaganda, even though they share lots of the same techniques, approaches, um, psychology. Uh, propaganda tends to be about a sort of political or possibly religious cause, but not trying to flog you something. Gotcha. Um, that being the case, um, and, you know, is propaganda dead then? Are we immune to it? Um, and I don't know if this is too early to come on to you, Jordan, but if you're um, thinking of something very contemporary, let's say you're a 50-something Russian, um, I, th I would argue that propaganda is definitely not dead. Um, although I don't know if anyone is actually arguing that, I'm not sure. Um, because it's, I mean, I think The Economist ran a really interesting article a few weeks ago, which is what does life look like in the day of a 50-something-year-old Russian? And they went through, you know, starting with the morning, might listen to the radio and then, you know, catch something on the internet and then maybe read a newspaper, all the way through to the evening talk show and stuff. And essentially what was clear, um, and I was persuaded by what The Economist was saying, is that, you know, constantly all day long, if you're the average Russian of that age, of how you access news, you, it is essentially you are being fed propaganda by, you know, an autocratic state. And so, um, you know, the political aims and misinformation of what's happening in Ukraine um, looks really powerful and impactful and it works. So certainly some, and that's, but I think that suggests that um, propaganda can't um, act alone. It needs other things around it supporting it for its aim. I don't know if that's relevant or not, but anyway, um, do you want to pick that up, Jordan? In my research, I came across this concept called rewired propaganda. Um, it was a term coined by Sarah Oates. Uh, and it basically, it suggests that the, it, it, it's concerning Russia um, specifically. Um, and it's, it's, it's a theory that to understand political power in Russia, um, it's not so much who owns or controls the media, which is possibly what um, propaganda looked like in, in the past, mm. but it's more about how information is constructed and disseminated um, to produce the most compelling uh, narrative. Um, and I think the, the, the tools uh, that are used now um, definitely rely on a digital media landscape um, social media, um, and they're not so much top-down models, um, but they're more sort of um, esoteric internet communities uh, that can um, leverage misinformation and disinformation um, to ba basically construct narratives um, of, of truth. Um, and I, I think that also sort of segues into other forms of modern propaganda, um, such as memes and internet culture. Um, I, I recently saw a documentary called Feels Good Man. Mm. Um, and it was about the creator of the Pepe the Frog meme. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but it's quite a popular meme. 
Um, and it's been, it's basically been co-opted by the far right in, not just in, in America, but sort of globally. Um, and uh, the documentary follows this, the, the, the inventor of, of, of the cartoon, the Pepe the Frog cartoon, and how he basically just lost control of his, um, of, of his cartoon um, as it just was shared and shared and shared by, by mm-hmm. far right um, uh, political activists on, on the internet um, and used for all sorts of messaging, political messaging that he uh, didn't approve of but mm. had ultimately no control over because mm. it, was, it was just being shared on, on different forums. Um, so yeah, I think that, that, that's another way of how it's not state sanctioned propaganda the way we used to think about it, but it's, um, it's just as influential and just as powerful. And, and I think it also shows that it can, we, we don't have so much control over it either these days. It, it can get sort of lost in, in all these different, um, internet sort of vacuums. Well, that, that works, that fits nicely into you know, what's happened to media in general, you know, that we've moved from a situation where producing media was expensive and only a small number of organisations could do it. And therefore, if you wanted to influence people and influ- and, and have an information campaign, you would have to either be or have strong influence over one of those organisations um, to a situation where anyone can produce information. And, you know, you would expect that to have an impact on the way that propaganda works. And I think you might expect it to just be harder, like I suppose I did, you know, going back to my expectations about the internet, it would just be harder to do propaganda. But it seems like actually what's happened is it's mutated. And it's now, you know, you want perhaps to use people to amplify your message. Um, You know, you're not, uh, it's no longer that you you generate things on the internet, but that you um, perhaps generate them in a small way or have them promoted via um, if you like, kind of fellow travellers who are inclined to to, um, to share your viewpoint in the first place, and that's now the way to do it. It's not is not by spewing out the information, but by getting other people to share it for you. Um, so it makes sense. It makes sense that that will be one way in which which it's mutated. Um, yeah, because there's a lack of I think is what you said a lack of control right over means of dissemination. So mm. it's being a bit cleverer about cleverer about it. But I think I just want to pick up something uh, Jordan used um, talked about disinformation and and misinformation. I think there's quite a useful uh, breakdown I found from Claire Wardle, um, which uh, I think more or less it, it is uh, sort of two axes. One is truth and one is harm. Now I, I obviously harm is subjective. You might the Russians might claim that truth is subjective as well, but let's let's assume that Not truth is subjective. Not just the Russians, subjective. no. But I mean, let's 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 at least facts, sort of yeah. say that harm is something which harms us, right? Yeah. Whatever, whoever we are. So yeah. it might be actively helpful to someone else, but I mean, let's assume it's it's sort of designed to cause some effect which harms someone. Um, so if you have uh, information that's false. Um, but not disseminated for any harmful reason. That's uh, yeah. misinformation. Yeah. When you have information that's uh, false and with harmful intent, that's disinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, actually, there is an interesting category of malinformation, which is information that's true, but is still shared mm-hmm. with the intent of causing harm. Yeah. What would be a good example of that? Well, it's difficult to talk about this without straying into into um controversial territory i think but i mean um go for it well i i i I suppose you could say you could say that 
let's say that there's, I don't know, there, there, there probably were some side effects from vaccinations, for example. Mm. And if I were to share some news stories to say, oh, yeah, look at these side effects without putting them into context or without trying to yeah. you know, think about the, um, you know, the sort of big statistical picture. Uh, that could fall into that category, you know. That I, I'm okay. It's true. Technically, what I'm spreading is is true, mm. um, but it's still malinformation. Yeah, Would yeah, bots yeah. and and trolls also potentially fall into that category? Like pe- entities online that are designed to just plant fake stories. Or, well, or, if it's not, fa- but this is, I suppose, I'm t- this is, is quite a tricky. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I heard someone re- recently say that the uh, the best trolling is actually true. <laughs> is when you say something that's true but kind of uncomfortable or yeah. um, or controversial. Um, yeah, I quite like the opposite of that as well, which is not true but well intentioned. Of which there's plenty yeah. around. But I but I think that, that that's, that's my kind of thing. That's what yeah. I want. Well, but, um, actually, we might want to touch on that because I was going to say one of the things you were talking about the all-encompassing environment of propaganda, where um, you know, which is perhaps would only be familiar to someone who's lived in a country where that's the case but where you know your your propaganda uh, radar might go off a bit but you but eventually everything you see just is all pointing in the same direction and eventually you just sort of think well some of this has to be true like it can't all be lies um but but i think uh, some people might say the same about you know the kinds of values that are promoted e.g by the bbc or yeah. other bits in the mainstream media um which are, you know, designed to make, to promote a certain sort of slightly more progressive set of values than perhaps the average person in the street might might have. And, you know, is that propaganda, even if it's well-intentioned? Mm, mm. I, I think what I'm quite um, quite interested in is there's, there's obviously lots of different forms of, of propaganda, but the extent to which it actually has an effect and how you might determine that effect. Yeah. And... Um, there was a, a study by the um, the Carnegie um, Endowment for uh, International Peace, a um, large study, and they studied uh, what I- they've referred to as um, influence operations, uh, which is, for, for anybody who's been involved in a sort of military-type context, you will hear information operations, influence operations, site psyops psychological operations all sort of used in this in this area essentially what it means is our propaganda right you know so if we don't want to call it propaganda so we call it something um uh, different uh, in true orwellian style mm. um but uh the the point is um they did a, a large meta-analysis of uh, all of the empirical studies they could find into um, into propaganda, they looked at eighty-two studies. They covered a whole range of different um, different countries all around the world. Uh, quite a high proportion of them, to, like a quarter, were U.S.-based sort of politics-type studies because that's obviously been studied a, a, a lot. Um, but they covered, you know, countries like Rwanda, uh, Argentina, Norway, very diverse um, uh, sort of set of studies. And essentially the conclusions were that, you know, while while you can find cases of, um, of you know, demonstrable changes that propaganda have had in in behavior they're not like massive effects so you know some of the things they found were like um uh in a in in a controlled study so some of them were like 
studies of the real world and some of them were controlled studies where they set up little experiments and um, you know they found things like uh, if you show people propaganda about promoting the importance of voting they might be two or three percent more likely to click on a button advertising the fact that they had they had voted. Um, other things like um, sampled studies of the of the real world, populations that had been exposed to to Fox News uh, more than other um, sort of groups, um, that was found to shift uh, the the votes towards or the Republican vote share by 0.3 percent in the population. You know, so you're talking about quite small effect sizes, but they did nevertheless find, you know, a reasonable amount of evidence for, for that. And there were two particular areas where they um, where they sort of felt, and this touches on Jordan's point and, and Nick's point a little bit, two areas where they found um, an impact. The first was long-term exposure to pre-internet traditional mass, mass media, uh, like four to 30 years worth of being hit over the head with, you know, state TV and newspapers will have an impact on on particular things. And they, they found, um, you know, in, in countries like uh, Ukraine and Taiwan, where people had been subjected to f Chinese and Russian state-sponsored media in those places, they were more likely to vote for parties that were sympathetic towards rejoining those countries and so on. Um, but the other the other effect they found, so long-term exposure to pre-internet pre media, uh, short-term exposure via so social media. So you could get a short sort of hit, a, a seemingly, I guess, a, a more rapid impact with, as Jordan was saying, you know, a few, a few memes or um, uh, tweets and so on. So I think it's quite interesting, you know, and, and, you know, the other example that I always think of is, um, uh, the Islamic State, right? So what, one of the things that I was involved in quite quite a lot previously when I worked in government was looking at um, extremist propaganda and um, the impact that might have on, you know, travel patterns and so on and so forth. And um, in the year 2014, most estimates suggest about 30,000 people travelled to the is uh, to the territory Syria Syria and bits of Iraq and so on from from around the world that's a you know a, a sensible-ish um, estimate and one of the things people always say about online um, propaganda is does it you know it's very nice you retweet it and you tell your pals about it but does it have a real impact on your your life well of course those people actually went somewhere and did something pretty, you know, pretty out of the ordinary. So that's a real, definitely a big impact on their real life world. They went somewhere to join, uh, you know, a new uh, emerging nation or whatever. But the difficulty is, and that was very, very studied, that phenomena. And, you know, there was lots of propaganda produced by the Islamic State and their, their sort of supporters um, uh, promoting, you know, what a wonderful country this was and so on and so forth but what it's very difficult to do a land of contrasts a, long, a land of yeah. contrast quite yeah come to the islamic sort of beautiful <laughs> beaches yeah. yeah yeah well it was, it was i think it was entirely landlocked but um, oh yeah but maybe you know uh, um yeah anyway what you find very difficult to, to separate is well did this did this video cause these people to go to this place or was it actually the chat they had with their friend or was it their disenchantment with their, their lot, lot in, in life, life. and yeah. you know were they already open to the idea through something they'd heard in a 
prayer group or, you know, so it's very difficult to say, well, this bit of propaganda had, had an impact. And most of the measures of online propaganda, when you look at these things, are did it get retweeted? Did somebody comment on it? What was the sentiment around that comment? Uh, how many likes did it get? But none of that really tells you, did, did that person therefore go off to Syria? Fantastic. Lots of great um, information there. We need to start moving um, in a direction of a conclusion. I've definitely got a question I want to ask at the end. I think there's at least one or two areas we still need to cover. Um, well, I, I haven't we... really mentioned the concept of, of antibodies. Oh, and before you do, yeah, just to, to say, Chris, I'm sure when you were talking about propaganda and Fox News, I'm sure you weren't suggesting that Fox News is some sort of propaganda machine. No. And, and Highly uh, objective TV um, media outlet. Exactly. Yeah. Um, antibodies. Yeah, yeah, let's get... Yeah, antibodies. This will be interesting. Well, no, it's more the... It's the so it's the idea... Uh, I, mean, I mean, the question of whether society can be sort of immunised against certain kinds of thing... Um, but the idea there's a, there's a term which is anti-inductive, which is sort of once you try something, it doesn't work again. Um, is is the idea, which mm. which I think I, well, I came across it in Slate Star Codex in an article called um, "The Influenza of Evil," um, which is making the point that if you were going to get another fascist um, dictatorship. It yeah. couldn't really look like the Nazis because no. as soon as you have, They'd you know, that's the, that looks too much yeah, like the Nazis. As soon as you've got, uh, you know, black uniforms and red armbands and scary music and imperialist architecture, people yeah. go, "That's a bit scary. That looks like the Nazis." I'm not going to go along with that. Yeah. Um, but when the Nazis first appeared, people just thought, oh, "Well, this is a good, a nice, healthy expression of German nationalism." Yeah, it's I nice and organised. People and, didn't you know. think that's it, and I, and, I, and I guess we could say the same about you know, propaganda from the olden days. Um, so I think there's clearly, uh, you know, something uh, there, the idea that we we acquire kind of cognitive or social antibodies against certain kinds of things. And, and I think I've seen that a little bit with clickbait, which I feel like it was, I mean, I'm only speaking from my own experience, but that, you know, I certainly was a victim of clickbait for, for quite a long oh, time. It was am. very difficult to avoid. That's what's so good about clickbait. That's what was so effective is that you still want to know what number seven is and yeah. why it's so surprising. You won't believe number yeah. seven in the, yeah. And 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 it and it's it, there's a there's a pull now, but I, I feel completely immune to the extent that mm. even if an article might be interesting, but if it even looks like clickbait, I won't click on it. And I and I you know, clickbait's become a cliche. You know, mm. people make jokes about that style of, of kind of headline. Um so I feel like, uh, you know, clickbait has lost its power. It must have done to some extent um, compared to where it was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, the question is whether we can acquire those kinds of antibodies to fake news. And, and uh, you know, which is obviously slightly more insidious articles, which, are, you know, look, look like um, look like news articles, but are actually entirely designed to make you think a certain way. And, in, um, and indeed, whether as individuals, whether we'd want to acquire immunity, because, you know, maybe I really like reading articles about how, you know, crime is rising or something like that. Um, it sort of reaffirms my sort of worldview. Um, given what you're talking about there and the evolution of, of, of propaganda and, uh, you know, this question of immunities, are we ready to talk about the future? Is that what we want to move on to? Be, or, or, or is there yeah, anything? Just, yeah, just very briefly... Uh, that, that's true. And yet, 
there are recurrent motifs in propaganda. Like the same anti-Semitic tropes are being used today as were being used in the 20s and really? 30s. Can you give me an example of a modern well, day one? Well, the, the, the depiction of um, a Jewish uh, internationalist, you know, the, the actual artist, the, 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 you know, the image of them is still the same um, demonic kind of um, figure, you know, and, um, and the, the, the very same sets of things are being said about them as well, that, you know, they have no national ties and they're interested in commerce and they're controlling the world. And it's, this, it's the same stuff and it's still there. Um, yes, within, within anti-Semitic, you know, um, uh, communities within uh, the Middle East and within the West, you know, where this stuff um, uh, gets passed around, that's what it looks like. Okay. If you look at any set of messages, right, whenever there's some kind of conflict or anything, you know, it's going to be the same, right? I mean, we, the message, the actual content is always about, you know, we're the good guys, and and our you look at the Russian line on Ukraine, for example. Mm. You know, it's not it's not an invasion. It's a sort of necessary intervention yeah. to remove Nazis from you know from from government mm. and you know protect innocent people. I mean, it's very much exactly the sort of thing we would say. Mm. You know, you take something like I don't know the the Falklands, strip out the Nazis, but or the Gulf War or anything. I mean, you know, there's a line which is that you're the good We're guys. We're the good guys. We've and got to save. And that is never going to change. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is about style, isn't it? This is about the way that that is packaged um, in a way that is going to make it persuasive. And I think what we've said is that, you know, in the old days, you might you might have a poster campaign or make a film which, which you know, pushes that line. And we've become immune to that. So now it's, you know, clickbait articles which support that viewpoint. Um uh, and uh, you know, and, and and fake news. That's I think that that's what we're saying is the not that the messages have changed, uh, but that the but that the, 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 the way that they're delivering packaged and so yeah. on. Yeah. Okay. Which means just for the future, it's it's always going to be like that because as you say, it's just the the channel will change or the channels will change, but it's always going to be a similar same sort of message. Um, uh, right. Who Jordan? Anything to add at this point? I think internet cultures and like communities of users online though and the way that they might use propaganda is quite it's substantially more subtle than than what we're sort of talking about like to take memes for example like that you can slightly ever so slightly change the a meme and and create like a completely new meaning that maybe only like a small group of users might understand and it's sort of like an in-joke, for example, that then can get sort of, it, it can sort of snowball online and develop more and more, more and more followers. And it's not necessarily for a specific, it's not trying to be like, we're the good guys and you're the bad guys, but it's more sort of people that are in the know that understand the kind of connotations and the context of that meme that then can share it with other people that understand it and then it will eventually sort of mean something but only to a select group of people so i think it's i think propaganda especially online and in internet communities is becoming much more subtle and 
delicate and almost like a bit more of an art form, I would say, than, mm-hmm. than sort of um, really obvious propaganda that everyone will just immediately understand when they, when they look at it. Like a, yeah, but I, I don't think it seemed obvious. I mean, I, I would imagine that when people first saw Triumph of the Will, they thought, what a great film. They didn't think this is obvious propaganda. Same with things like Battleship Potemkin or other things that we now look at and go, well, that's obvious propaganda. But Why guess, would anyone have believed well, that? Well, look crap? at the Marvel um, film franchise for example you know obviously you know most Uh-oh. well no <laughs> m- but most most superhero um culture arose from essentially pro us sort of wartime propaganda didn't it yeah so, it's still wartime um, i think the in- the difference with the internet stuff is you don't know what the purpose is necessarily like like even trying for the world it's still about national it's still brought like it's still kind of obvious what the themes are but with a meme the themes are not they're very hidden very disguised I think it's much it's much harder to detect the meaning. Okay. Um, I've got a question I want to ask, um, but before I do, anything anyone needs me to move on to? Chris? Well, I think that's a point we can pick up, pick up on as we, as we start to talk, you know, uh, about the future. But that idea that it is less accessible. So propaganda initially had to be obvious and appeal to everybody because that was the media context, right? You put a film on, your Pathé News sits at the cinema, everybody goes to the cinema, you've got to hit everybody with one little 10-minute clip, right? Whereas now, I think Jordan's point is you've got these tiny little subcultures and they've got their own propaganda and if I pick it up, I read it and I read it at face value and there's all this dog whistle stuff going on within it that you have to be a like esoteric is the right word you have to be a deep expert in whatever the hell it is those guys are going on about to know what it what it means so the meaning is is hidden whereas the meaning of propaganda previously was obvious and overt although although I think that's, there's another... hold on sorry nick sorry although that's i can see there's some truth in that that does go i think in the opposite direction to what we were talking about stay home protect the nhs where like a big event and with a clear big message, and you're being told this is a message. Yeah. So there is yeah. still, so you can still have both, maybe yeah. still. Uh, sorry, Nick, I was interrupting. I cut you off there. So I think there is something interesting about um, the things that Jordan was was talking about, which that's just reminding me of, um, which is the the fact that I think when you do have a small number of media organisations doing everything. There's a consciousness to, okay, this is propaganda. We're spinning. We're trying to convince people to do this thing that they wouldn't otherwise do. And, you know, this is how we're going to do it. Um, I think it is interesting that actually a lot of online, let's call it propaganda, but, you know, is is spread voluntarily by people who think it's the truth. That's the, that's like the people who <clears throat> come up with it might not believe it. But, you know, once it's out there, it relies on the fellow travellers who actually believe it to, to, to promote it. So I was thinking about something like, I mean, obviously a lot of conspiracy theories, I think, fall into this kind of domain. But um, Pizzagate, for example, which is one of the oh. bizarre, most bizarre uh, phenomena, I think, of, of the is online Is this the Prince Andrew thing? No. No, pe- no, no. Pizzagate what is Pizzagate? I don't know. Hillary Clinton and uh, child sex rings. And yeah, really? so, so during, I think it was I'm 2016, <laughs> during the 2016 election, a, an unfounded rumour uh, arose that within those, remember those emails that were leaked? Yeah. There were coded references to a sort of elite level paedophile ring, yeah. which operated in this one particular pizzeria, in Washington. Right. Well, I mean, you know, someone went in there with a gun and stuff. I mean, it got very, you really? know, it's, it's really seriously oh taken word. very seriously. Now, 
I it mystifies me where things like that appear from. Whether the original author of the conspiracy um, had genuinely believed it, or mm. whether it was a sort of designed to take advantage of the fact that these emails had been leaked and there wasn't really that much that was terribly exciting in there and people were like, well, let's get, let's try and make out. Let's active, we are actively working on behalf of Donald Trump to try and, you know, undermine Hillary Clinton with this preposterous story. Um, and, but then, I mean, 99% of the people who were sharing it and acting on it believed it, yeah. right? That's, it can only have been the case. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. A small, a tiny number of people thought it was the the truth super briefly jordan then i've got i've got my burning question um i think believed it or thought it was funny i think that's another yeah. key thing is like there's there's a humor plays a massive part i think in the sharing of this kind of messaging online is it like this kind of propaganda works really well with like the deep kind of irony and cynicism like birds that or robots is that mm. the um the 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 american what where where people are going around as a conspiracy Theory yeah, birds aren't that, real. That oh. birds, birds aren't real. That's right. right. Mm. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think it just these sort of the, the these kinds of more sadistic or even darker kinds of things they work really well online for people to sort of use as uh, comedic devices. Um, okay. I've got a question. Got a question. Um, obvious question. Maybe it's a rubbish question. If you don't like it, tell me. Um, what's your favourite bit of propaganda? I'll kick off. Um, so I've got a couple that I really like, and and one of them unfortunately has been really spoiled. Okay, um, and I remember when I first saw this, I thought, yes, that's I really like that. But it's since gone on to be keep calm and carry on. Mm. I do really like it. Um, and for anyone who's not familiar, so the story is there was a set of posters that were designed and I believe printed um, that would be posted in, in general public um, in the UK in the event of a successful German invasion of, of the UK mainland um, in, what, 1940 it would have been. Um, th these posters were actually never put up. And it was by the Ministry of Propaganda, whoever it was, of Ministry of Information, whatever it was in the UK. And it was quite simply that. I think it was a, a sort of a, reddish, a red poster with some really nice, simple typeface, and it had a little crown on top of I it. I think everyone's seen it. Well, it's no, been, because, it's no, been... no, but in the UK they may have, but mm. we've got listeners from elsewhere they may not have. Um, and I remember first seeing that about 10 years ago, and I actually bought the poster, and it had the story about it. And what I really liked about it, and maybe this is what everyone else really liked, was, I mean, yes, it's simplicity, but I have to say, as a British person, it's got the kind of, um, the message really appealed and resonated to me, mm. and what I think of myself as a British person, and, and what Britain is, and this being calm, just carrying mm. on. And, and I really liked that. It was it's no like business as usual or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and it was no call to arms or defending the mother country, nothing like that. And of course, now it's sort of, it, it just turned into its own mm. thing, which thank God has died down, sort of keep calm and make cupcakes. And yeah. it's just everywhere now. That's the first one that I really liked. And the second one, really briefly, is, I, and I think you guys will be more familiar with it than me, but I think it was in, in China in the 1950s, which was the campaign against birds, about right. the, because the birds were killing all the... Because the crops, yeah, because they were robots. Yeah. The birds were nicking all the crops up and down the country. And so the Communist Party had the idea of, I know, let's kill all the birds. Um, and the way to do that was scare them into the, so they would never land. And so the whole country was mobilized into making sure that birds never landed. Hmm. And then you got the film footage of like tons of, 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 of birds lying um, piled up dead because it worked really well. 
but it, so it was good in that sense. But the bad thing was, I, I believe that therefore no insects got killed and the insects ravaged um, crops and so on. I don't this know. All so then you had to keep like, the insects off the ground. Yeah, then you've got to keep yeah. the insects off it the ground. It sounds a bit like you don't really know what you're talking about, to be honest. Why? But we'll have to check that. We'll check. No, no, this it's is all absolutely a bit true. It's absolutely all a bit hand wavy. Okay, well, if you, you say so. Everything I do is It sounds a bit like American propaganda about Chinese propaganda, but I'll have to go I've been, and, I'll I've been falling and, for the propaganda, yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah, I'll have to go and check that. And so more succinctly than me, who's got the Well, I've got my clear favourite, I think, is also from World War Two. It's a film called The Lambeth Walk, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, an early example of a mashup video, you might say. But it's um, obviously 1940, dark days when... Britain, I don't know what a mashup video is, but don't right. let that worry uh, you. When Britain stood alone against the terrifying might of, uh, you know, the, the uh, Nazi war machine. Mm. And it's a little video uh, of, sorry, a film, uh, which has been edited to make it look like these, you know, scary Wehrmacht soldiers all goose-stepping along mm. are actually doing it in time to oh, the Lambeth, Lambeth Walk. Walk. Nice. And, and it's intercut with sort of sped-up Hitler waving his arms around and shouting. <laughs> and um, uh, they kind of walk forward, then they walk backwards a bit, and then they walk forward again. It's tremendous. And, it, and the reason it's so effective is because it takes this terrifying thought and mocks it ridicules it and yeah. i think and i think if there was a competition between british and german propaganda the point is that german propaganda took itself so seriously it's so heavy-handed you know it's all about the might of uh, germany and how you know the um, the western countries all the bolsheviks are all evil and whereas our propaganda was all taking the mickey mm. out of out of you know the the germans that's much more effective yeah. i think well yeah, we all I know like that about Hitler and the Albert Hall, don't we? Well, exactly. (laughs) Um, Let's have Jordan then, Chris, please. The one that comes to mind is like just the the North Korean propaganda that comes out. That's like that heavily stylized, really sensationalist, like over the top glorification of the leader and and denigration of like the United States and the West. And uh, you just get little snippets sometimes of videos and like promotional material that they release online and, and the so. famous newsreader and then your famous uh, yeah. newsreader and yeah. the, I, I i don't know it's just quite what was the famous news as well they were crying or no or no, shouting there's a or, there's a sort of um middle-aged um north korean woman mm. newsreader who is sort of famed for this very very um strident and you know uh, you'll t- you have to watch it to, to sort of I've, understand yeah, it I think properly, I've seen it actually. I think yeah. she's like a big celebrity in North Korea yeah, yeah. like a celebrated and, national hero and also claims to I think with Kim Il-sung to inventing the helicopter and things like that which actually if I'm not uh, wrong is exactly what the kind of thing that said in 1984. Um, I, mean, I mean, spot on exactly yeah. that. Well, Mus- Mussolini was was full of. Uh, th- he used to leave the light on in his house all night because he told people he never slept and think <laughs> things things like that. It's um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was full of lots of uh, comic. Yeah, yeah. Nick Hare does the same. Um, Chris. Uh, so I think I, I got, uh, most of mine boils down to the to the 1980s really in two in two forms. One is the um, the fantastic Hollywood Cold War era films, mm. which seems really weird now. Hollywood is such a hotbed of like you know progressive, uh, sort of lefty um, culture that at one point it was a propaganda machine for you know Reagan really. Mm. Um, Although so, Top Gun Maverick has just come out, I haven't true. seen it. No, I, I haven't. I, I, bet I, I can only imagine it's laced with with more nuanced yeah. view about. Uh, about you know Chinese and U.S. relations, um, mm. so but 
chief chief amongst uh, that is Rocky Four. So Rocky Four yeah. is, is a, it East ver is it man against man? is it East versus West or man against man? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, one yeah, one of the greatest propaganda films ever made. Um, but then my other bit from the sort of eighties um, relates to childhood propaganda, of which there's loads. You know, oh, eat your greens and all that sort of stuff. And if you remember, like cartoons like He Man and so on, they'd have the story. You'd have the main fifteen minutes of the cartoon or whatever, and then there'd always be this minute at the end, which was like, "So kids, you know, uh, what we found out from today's episode was, you know, don't bully your classmates or something." And it's like, what, you know? Um, <laughs> but that used to that that was like okay to just put that in at the end of this thing. This this terrible moral over that's true actually um, they yeah, did, although they? i think the yeah. fact that the fact that you spotted it and, and no one took it seriously shows that it was already old hat in terms of a propaganda approach yeah. i think yeah and as we know from chris's past confessions it didn't work on him either no. about this whole yeah no. that's because i liked skeletor yeah that's um, it yeah. um okay nice nice i enjoyed that i think we covered things pretty well there um even if I say so myself. Maybe that's my own bit of propaganda. Um, we'll stop there. Uh, say it say it often enough and it turns true. Yes, exactly. Um, thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Chris Ragg, Nick Hare, and Jordan Fermanis of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.